This is the Punk Theology Podcast broadcasting worldwide. I'm your host, Rush Shaw. One question. Is your ego your amigo? Other than this, though, or our interaction, I wouldn't have this. I wouldn't have. I wouldn't be a part of being able to hang ego at the door, hang shame at the door, and share bits and pieces of my life. And I'm not being ridiculed for it. You know, I'm not not being made fun of, and have good communication. So, how do you find that? Yeah, good question. You gotta do you, man. Yeah. Do you. It's not the cliche thing. I will share the I'll write some summaries of Eckhart and Eckhart. Yeah. Sweet. Really? We're already recording. Oh, so. So, uh, last week we recorded, uh, we're, you know, let's apologize for last week's episode. It was all right. Come on. We, need to we have a good... We have a good... I apologize. I'm sorry. I wasn't there. I couldn't, yeah. I couldn't bring these Arthur guys together. Yep. It was just a funky thing. It was like... They didn't have me to, like, yeah. contradict them. I'm sorry I was stuttering with a lisp. Wait, <laughs> what? What am I saying? <laughs> we're like a band, and, and, and our guitarist wasn't here or something. I don't know. No, I, I play the cowbell. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> More cowbell. What is the 80s music without cowbell, man? <clears throat> so, uh, yeah, last week was, we, we were late too. It was a late recording because uh, Derek worked late, and then uh, we all came together on Thursday, like in the middle of the night, <laughs> which is 9.30, which is, which is late for us, right? Not really in the middle of the night, but... So the topic I raised earlier today was uh, about the ego, and that's kind of a thing today, and maybe more of the modern sort of Rob Bell Christians, I don't know, They're talking about the, the ego. And I, I like it uh, as a concept, you know, the spirit versus the ego, or Galatians 5, the, the spirit and the flesh are continually at war with one another. Um Buddhism will talk about yin and yang, right? I mean, there's a... Threw it out there. Actually, it was your topic, wasn't it, Steve? Steve raised the topic. This is Steve's baby. I'll hand it off to Steve. Go, Steve. I just was bantering in my head this morning the idea of what do I do or don't do because of ego. Hmm. There... You, there's things that you don't do because your ego gets in the way. Yeah, because of what it, what will it look like. Fear of failure. Fear of failure, absolutely. Fear of what other people think. What other people think, what family will think. So what do you want to do? If you feel comfortable saying. Is there something that... In process. Okay. You know, it, it, there are some things. Um, I like to be more risky. Like, you know, like we're talking about, you know, 61 years old. I was talking with a buddy a couple weeks ago. We were out on his back porch smoking a cigar and... 
drinking a beer, homebrewed, and he says, you know what? And he looks at me and he goes, this is almost as good as sex. I go, you know, at 61 years old, and he's the same age. I go, yeah, I get it. Because he said, you know, at 61 years old, you know, what have I got? 15 years maybe? 20 if I'm lucky? I'm not 20. So I'm going to enjoy a cigar. I'm going to enjoy a beer. I'm going to enjoy stuff that I've never done because life is short. Or as Ashley Madison says, <laughs> this is <getting> the topic. <laughs> I just looked that up. That is still online. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so that's it. Is, is a lot of times too is, is when you're talking with someone, do you say something just because it you want to sound good mm-hmm. or you want to impress? You know, we Chuck and I were talking at, at dinner tonight. I said, you know, you got guys that you do you say if somebody tells you something, you say, yeah, I know that, or do you say, well, that's really interesting. You know, is the ego saying, oh, well, I got to up you, I got to one up you, I got to make it known that I know that I'm I'm in. Gotta be the answer. I've gotta be have the, exactly. have the right answer or whatnot. I think it definitely depends on the company for me. Mm-hmm. I find myself because I came out of that hyper machoistic culture, um, and it's really easy for me to slip back into it sometimes. When I'm especially when I'm around somebody that really thrives in that kind of, you know, they think community makes, and uh, so and it's usually not until after. I've been doing it for a while when I'm in that situation where all of a sudden I'm like, wait a minute, I hate this. <laughs> like, I hate doing this. It feels, yeah. it's so, yeah. like, tense. And it, and it kind of stimulates my brain, but, like, in all the wrong areas. Like, it just feels gross yeah. to have to, to, you know, and it's, and, you know, it's purely selfish, right? And it's, and... You know, I like competition, but that form of competition is just so... I mean, you're trying to raise yourself up, but at the same time, you're looking for ways to demean the other person. Yeah. Um, you talk about that male-on-male ball-busting kind no, of thing. No, not ball-busting. Like, the one-upmanship. Mm. Like, they, uh-huh. people that have to do that with everything. So, like, sometimes it's like, you know, who suffered more? Yeah. And there's always yes. got to be one person, you yes. know, that's, well, okay, that was shitty, but let that's me tell you what happened to me. Or, or, the, or, cool, the cool guy story. Right. You know, I did this. Oh, I've done that too. But I did this. And right. You know, just raises the bar. It tends uh-huh. to really... I notice it the most when guys start talking... People that are really into guns start talking about guns. <laughs> and they've always got one better. Like, uh-huh. And, yeah, and and everybody's just waiting for their turn to talk. They're not actually listening to what the other person has to say. And just waiting to blow the other person away with their crazy story. Uh yeah, and it's a, it's kind of fun in low doses, but it gets tiring really fast. And some people, some men don't know how to do anything else but that. Wow, man. The ego is in such, like, control or... Uh, Arthur brought up uh, Carl Jung, who was Jung. around... Yeah. Carl Jung. Yeah, something like that. It starts with a J. The <laughs> J is silent. Is he Asian? Probably not. No. He's in Europe. Probably not. But, uh... I just offended every Asian. There goes that Patreon. <laughs> so, but yeah, he, he talks about it different from, from Freud's idea of the ego. And he he's not real famous in, in psychological circles, but he did come up with... Uh, he came up with the idea of uh, introvert extrovert, like that's his baby. He became more of a, a philosopher and kind of a mystic, where Freud became the 
you know, the granddaddy of clinical psychology. But the archetypes, right? Yeah, archetypes like we create uh, alter egos or archetypes, or maybe that's one of those alter ego things that people do where they're trying to one up each other. And, and women do it too. It's, it's kind of a human thing, right? Isn't the ego trying to prove your personal value and the rightness of what you do? Yeah, what is ego? That's one of those. I was going to ask. How do you define that? Yeah, ego. Yeah, definitely. I don't know because I, I mean, to me, my understanding of ego now is so much more than what we were right. just discussing. Like yeah. that was like my first low-level introduction to ego when I'm like 13, and somebody's telling me about the concept, mm-hmm. and that was like the more friendly version of the definition of ego. Ego, in, in that regard, is almost, like, interchangeable with pride. Yeah. 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 Exactly. yeah. yeah. Or the flesh. Or the self. Right. So where are you at now, Arthur, with what's your definition of ego? Uh, I would say that um, I would call ego the mind-made identity of who you are. Not the real who you are. It's it's the who you yeah. are that you present. It's who's you, who you are that you, if you're unconscious, it's the who you are that you interact with, uh, even with yourself. Um, if you're more conscious, then then you realize it's something other than you. Yeah, I kind of always understood it as your awareness of how you define yourself as a person, and kind of the lens through which you view yourself, which dabbles into the. You know, it's it's usually like I am statements, mm-hmm. and not they like are. I not I like statements or I feel statements yeah. or even I prefer statements. But you know, trying to define yourself as a person, statements. I'm not that guy. What guy? Right? <laughs> yeah, that could be. That's part of it for yeah. sure. Like, there's a moralistic tie-up in a lot of that. And that's what Carl uh, Jung, Yoon, whatever his name was. Uh, <laughs> that's what I liked about so he was after he was really curious about the ego for the sake of, of understanding the, the unconscious or the subconscious as Freud would say because we all do things I would go to needs like I I, I, I think there's seven needs where Maslow may Maslow's say there's hierarchy. five and uh, the, the hierarchy of needs I think that a lot of those needs our ego, we don't even realize it, but in some of that kind of dick measuring guys kind of, you know, trying to out, outdo each other, there's in there is some insecurity, right? That's trying to find its food, <laughs> you know, like a, like a freaking hedgehog in there or something, you know, in our spirit. But there's something too that uh, Galatians 5 in the Bible talking about how the, the spirit and the ego are odds, and it says, so that you don't do what you want. That's how that verse ends. I can't remember what verse it is. 11, is it? Now I have to look, look it up. It up. <laughs> <laughs> but that's interesting, too, because it, it, that's why we don't do what we want. Right? Does well, that make sense? That's what I picture my ego as, is the, the dark passenger that sits in the car mm. while I'm going through life. Mm. But you have a conversation with somebody and you ask them a point-blank question, and they avoid it like the plague 
And you, what, my ego says that I need to respond with, no, you shithead. I asked you what 2 plus 2 is. I don't care how you're feeling. I just want to know what the answer is. Just answer me. And that's, I have a problem because I just, I fight with my ego about that. Because that's what, really what I want to say. I don't, I don't care about the rest of the feeling on this or the, is the grass green. I don't, I don't care. I just need to know if what you think is 2 plus 2 equals 4. Wouldn't ego be caring about what they said because of your image? I think of ego as that thing in you that's unconscious, that's on autopilot, that just reacts. Mm-hmm. Um, it's that thing that gets frustrated and upset. Um, it's, I, I see it as being volatile and reactionary and unconscious, or yeah. just that thing that's on autopilot. And where I interact with it some is is uh, if you want to awaken, if you want the ego to be a lesser thing, um, you know, there's, like, we, we spent some time talking about Richard Rohr last week, where he is famous for championing this idea, and I don't think he originated it, but it's, you know, he puts the idea forth that transformation comes from one of two ways, either great love or great suffering. That's the way to really shed the ego, is great love or great suffering. That's where awakening happens. But if you want it to happen, if you strive for it to happen, you have to be careful because that's ego that wants to change. That's an egoic thing. So it's almost like... Maybe. It can be desperation, too. (laughs) You have to be careful. It's like if you want it too bad, it could be an egoic thing. It's almost as though, no, just, just hang back. Life will happen to you. And as you get older, at least this is my experience, and... You know, my very early 40s is the older you get, things just chip away at you, life happens, and uh, things that bothered me five, ten years ago don't bother me as much. It, it becomes sort of the thing of subtraction. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. My understanding of the problems with the ego are that it's made up of it, you know, it's influenced by a number of things. And two of the things that's influenced is one, by who you want to be, and kind of this idealistic image of yourself in your head. And then also what your behavior actually is. So I think conflicts with the ego are often when your behavior comes up against, you know, you have this definition of your head of who I am, uh, and this is what I do, and your behavior does not reflect that. And one of those ten things has to break, yeah. right? Like you either like ignore it and just say, you know, uh, it doesn't, it, that doesn't change who I am just because I act like this. It doesn't. I have any, you know, I can still keep this ideal as a, you know, idealistic idea of myself. But you have to do some pretty serious burying of a lot of stuff in order to make that work. Right. Um, or, uh, or it comes up against that, and and that ideal has to break um, a little bit. And sometimes, you know, I think it's one of those things that if you do it gently and carefully, you can kind of start to deconstruct it a little bit in a healthy manner. But I think more often than not, it results in a self-esteem crisis. Um, because uh, and because then you you swing from this ideal this positive ideal to a negative ideal mm-hmm. like you know I should be here but I'm a piece of shit because of my behavior so I ended up on this opposite end uh, and there's kind of this middle ground in the in the middle that you should you know that's closer to the reality right. and that's um, a lot of Christians right like a lot of Christians who get who get saved right and then you're sold this kind of idea that well once you get saved you get the Holy Spirit and then the Holy Spirit fixes you. From the inside out, 
Um, and then when that doesn't, when that's not working, then you feel like, well, maybe God doesn't love me, or I mean, it depends on you know, pick your denomination or your theological construct, but yeah, that's when people start to right bipolarism, basic or this kind of when you're up and high and doing well, you're super up and high and you're super in your own ego and you're you know you're living that ideal that you've got in your head of who I am as a person right and then when you screw up you're super low right and it's kind of flip-flops between those two instead of having a realistic actual understanding of who you are as a person uh, you know and accepting that and being gentle to that and being caring for that um while still trying to achieve accuracy that doesn't have to have you swinging <coughs> from this, from I'm the best that's ever done this, back to I'm the worst piece of shit, and then right. swinging back and forth. And both of those are kind of anti-human, right? Like, we don't like our humanness. Like, the ego tries to not be human, I think, is a big part of You mean both of this conversation? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the worst part of it, is that you have to hide that then. Yeah. Right? Because... Because nobody wants to be around somebody who's a super egomaniac right. and super arrogant, and nobody wants to be around somebody who f- thinks they're shit all the time. Right. And we're, you know, as other human beings in community, we're, you know, that's really distasteful. Right. So that that again makes it worse because these people basically have to hide the fact that they're going through this, yeah. and they don't have anybody to guide them to a point where the truth about who they are, which is neither of those extremes, it's somewhere in the middle. Right. Um, actually exists, and so they, you know, they're constantly lost, swinging from one extreme to the other, um, because they can't admit some kind of that they're struggling like that. Yeah, yeah. That's so. Yeah, that's what I. Uh, I, I so I figured I found it. Um, Galatians, it's five seventeen. For what it's worth, this is from the New King James Version. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And there's some translations are different. Like, that's it. But it goes on to, you know, the works of the flesh are evident, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred. There's a huge list. Envy, murder, drunkenness. Um, sorcery, huh? Sorcery, yeah. When, you're, when your ego's in control, you tend to conjure up a spell or two. That's powerful. <laughs> Maybe that's what we're doing in traffic, right? Yes. Somebody cuts us off, and the ego says, "Fuck you!" Or you know, the middle finger comes up, which is which is a sorcery. This is the Harry Potter wand. Everyone knows. That <laughs> <laughs> so, was a penis. <laughs> the fruit of the spirit, though, is love, joy, peace, long suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self control. Which against these things there is no law. And the law is mentioned twice there because that's what kind of like you're talking about. These are people who are slaves to some kind of law that, and their ego just feeds on it, right? A lot of Christians are like that. A lot of religious people, not just Christians, are like that. I mean, I've met people, Buddhists, who are, you know, the, well, I'm enlightened. Let me, let, me, let my ego tell you how enlightened I am. You know, it's the same, the same kind of paradox, right? Yes. <laughs> you it's, it's hard for you to met somebody awkward, awkward like this, isn't it? What's that? You've met somebody who said they're enlightened. 
Yeah. I'd be really wary. Of <laughs> yeah, yeah, I yeah. have. I miss it. It's kind of like saying you're humble, right? Yeah, I'm so humble. <laughs> I'm so humble. I knew a guy who was a, a drug dealer, and he was up in Granite Falls. The guy, you know, manufactured meth, and it just into all sorts of horrible shit. I learned uh, just a year or so ago that I guess he was shot to death in some kind of drug raid up in Granite Falls. But he was a, you know, he was like an Eastern sort of religious dude, and he would sit in the lotus position on his pillow and and talk about how enlightened he was and how he's at peace and and uh, you know he used teenage kids like me to run drugs for him. So I don't know if that's enlightenment, but <laughs> seems like, <laughs> seems like a stretch was. with the Buddhist priority on reducing. <laughs> Suffering in the world to be producing. Well, I think that was his thing, <laughs> right? Well, he saw drugs as as a way. You know, he had pictures of that that fucking guy. Who's the guy? I forget his name. But he had, he was an artist, the Campbell Soup guy. You guys know who I'm talking about? Andy Warhol. Andy Warhol. Andy Warhol. Yeah, he had Andy Warhol's shit in his walls, and you know, I think he really believed that he was making the world better by selling dope. <laughs> I give people a break from their stressful lives from their that's what we're doing and the law just doesn't understand and you know but the guy made me feel like I was uh, a somebody he made me feel like I had value you know he he gave me responsibility you had I'd probably cut my him. fucking throat if I crossed him <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> or he'd have somebody else do it because that's way too that's below his level of consciousness right <laughs> but uh yeah so that was it was one of my first interaction with a you know, Eastern religion a little bit. So that would be then a desire to be liked, appreciated. Yeah, and a desire not to get a job and just work at a fucking fast right. food place or something like that. I mean, that's the jobs I had were just minimum wage paying shit jobs that I hated. And, uh, yeah, if this guy's going to give me, you know, three grand and run some coke or go buy some coke or run some meth or trade I mean I did all sorts of horrible shit back then but yeah it made me feel it made me feel important you know like I was a badass too, mm-hmm. you know? mm-hmm. but there was that well I think that for me is why I've been I've gone well as uh, somebody was reading oh it was uh, Matt Johnson's book he's talking about the different type of Jesuses and he says that we are drawn to a specific type. For me, forever, it was the movement leader Jesus. I wanted to be a part of something cool. Mm-hmm. Which, before Mars Hill, I was in a vineyard movement. Uh, because that was cool at the time. I was back in John Wimber, Signs and Wonders. So, you know, it's, With the gold teeth and the gold dust. And all yeah, that yeah, yeah, yeah. And, that's, and that, that's that ego for me as I'm looking back now. And that's what I was wrestling with this morning. Is that idea of being a part of something the ego wanted to be a part of something bigger than me yeah is that an uh, ego thing I don't know that's what I was just it's a human thing it's like being belonging being a part yeah. of something where tribal animals were were made that way I, I don't know if that's it, it can go to an egoic place or to an unhealthy place it can be an ego thing in that you know how people define themselves in the western we Find ourselves individually, yeah. But in the Eastern side, it tends to be, you know, defined communally, right? Interdependently, uh, and I think sometimes from a Western perspective, we're so desperate for an interdependent definition 
that we go to weird, crazy, but we want to we want an interdependent uh, ego, but on our terms, which is independent, <laughs> which and is individualistic, <laughs> right? So it's like independent individualistic goals, but with a desire to be independent on other people. But everybody in that group ultimately is in it for their own individual. Like nobody's actually in it for the good of the group, um, but they're they're there because it feels like they're part of something bigger. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, it makes sense. It yeah. does. Because they, they think that was me. Isn't that what the spirit is after, though? The spirit is after some kind of rest or some kind of uh, place where we're with other people that are like-minded mm-hmm. and uh, we can be ourselves around. Like in this group, I, I feel like we could hang our egos at the door yeah. and not have to be, you know, the greatest, most whatever insert title here right in 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 religious circles or in you know spiritual community i think when it works well is when when yeah when what you're saying the people are actually there just to be themselves as raw and as naked and as flawed as that looks that's why i think like hippie culture may have more of a (laughs) a bead on real spiritual community I don't know just from what I've heard so how do you find a group of guys though that you can do that with I mean I lucked out because I just happened to go to the same church you went to and you said hey you want to come hang out Uh Um, other than this though or our interaction I wouldn't have this I wouldn't have I wouldn't be a part of being able to hang ego at the door hang shame at the door and share and have good communications how do you find that yeah good question like nike says just do it (laughs) (laughs) but that's maybe that's why this is an important conversation too because if you're in a spiritual community where ego is so fucking important that you can't be yourself maybe you need to head for the door maybe you need to find a place where you can be yourself and you you know you're not just going to some fucking bible study and we're going to we're going to go through the book of whatever today. You know, and all that's well and good as long as you're you're able to talk about your own life there and just be with other people. There's something to this that's life-giving, you know? Well, it's what Chuck Palahniuk tapped into with Fight Club, right? Yeah. It's the, the only place game. that this guy could go was support groups because this is the only, that was the only venue where something like this existed. Yeah. Where you could actually be yourself and be open with people, and he would just pretend that he had all this shit, right? <laughs> right. Uh, just so it wasn't so good being himself, though, right? Right. right. Yeah. <laughs> but just to be, even to have a facsimile, like just a close approximation, because our society won't give that to guys yeah. without. We you gotta have cancer, right? You gotta be yeah, fucking dying, dying. Or, or an alcoholic, right? Right. right. Before, you gotta be right Drug on addict. death's doorstep, yeah. and society's gotta be just about ready to kick you to the curb. For you to get to a spot where you can be real, people really pay attention. Right, exactly. Well, it's I stumbled on a. I was running this weekend, listening to an old Rush album and uh, Subdivisions. Uh, I never really listened to the words, but one of the courses he says in the high school halls, in the shopping malls, conform or be cast out, and you can take that Mm. everywhere. Yeah, you know, and that's what again, that's what I think about this group is that we don't have to conform. There's no preconceived. Yeah, that's a good tune too. It is. There's a lot. Of, <laughs> there's a lot of that in the lyrics. Yeah, yeah. I think there's. Um, 
I think it's difficult if you are still in a fragile place. So, and why I say that is because if, if you're looking for that type of group, I think the best way to find that is be that. Yeah. 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 And you'll attract people to you. Yeah. But if you're fragile, the, the rejection and, and judgment that you can receive when being that, trying to find people to connect with, beyond the, hey, how's the weather and how did the Seahawks do, um, you can get crushed. Yeah. But if, yeah. if you've run out of fucks to give, <laughs> right. then you'll find that you can have those conversations all over the place and meet new people at a new, deeper level because you're no longer playing that game of putting yourself out there only so far until you get hurt and wounded and then you run away with your tail between your legs. Right. Um, and but if you can't of... get hurt anymore, then you can find it again. And you and that's part it. of it. You the, find the ego does that too, right? And that's, that's not that the ego is a bad thing either. I, I wanted to clear that up in this conversation as well. No, no. Because we tend to... You know, oh, the ego, or it's like some sitcom, oh, the bad ego did it again, or whatever. Um, no, it's sometimes it, it, it's good to have a bit of a thick skin, like you're saying. Because like Steve, you reminded me of that when I, I interviewed you, uh, and we talked about, I, I, I like your, you have that kind of magnetic thing going on, where people are attracted to you because you... Maybe it's because you, you let go of the shits and the fucks, right? You don't have the two fucks, and, and you're just going to be Steve at church, and that is also that is both attractive to some and repulsive to others, right? Yeah, you'll it find is. that. I have found that. Yeah, you'll find that in some community. But like, I, I just had this conversation with a uh, Mark Azule, who's a, uh, a psychologist in Colorado, and he was talking about that's part of true community is is when. There's also people that will brush up against you, mm-hmm. and then we our ego is kind of tested in those places too. Mm-hmm. And how can you can you still love that person, even though they're kind of an asshole to you because you're honest? And maybe they are an asshole to you because you're honest because they want that. They don't know how to do it yet. Yeah, you know, I was kind of that guy for a while. I used to make fun of well, me too. guys who had feelings. <laughs> you know, yeah, I was the rough around the edges. Fuck you, you know, don't tell me about your feelings. Be a I, fucking I, man. I'm usually That's why Mars Hill was such a place for a guy. Yeah, exactly. I've usually worn my heart on my sleeve, and I'm yeah. not great at being inauthentic. So what you see is what you get. I just don't really know how to do anything else. It's just kind of... There's some pain because of that. But, uh-huh. um, but I, like, with what Arthur said, be that thing, be that person... And I think that what that does is it, it sort of broadcasts a signal of, you know, I'm safe. Like, you're not going to shock me. You're not going to offend me. Like, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a safe person. And in my life, I mean, there's been, I don't know how many times, I, I can't even count, where you can be the guy that someone comes to when no one else is there. You get the call or middle of the night or, hey, dude, I, you know, don't tell anyone this, but... You know, and that door just open for people. If you broadcast that signal and you're just that person, you never know when that could happen. Mm-hmm. Hey, I'm struggling with this, and you said that, and that made me think. And yeah. that it's just that's one thing I want my life to be is just an invitation, an open door. I'm not saying I'll 
always click with everyone or it, it'll always be comfortable or but by and large I, I I try to do that just be safe just be a safe person a, a trustworthy person yeah sometimes just being present I think is important too yeah like when we went to Chuck Hickman's thing he was he's a a, a chaplain for the Everett Police Department and uh, we, we saw him graduate from that. And one of the things that touched me about one of the speeches was they said, this is a ministry of presence. Like you walk into a place where, where you know, a family just lost their teenager to suicide. You, there's, no, there's no fucking words. Like, don't try and, you know, Plotted come up with the right thing to say. No, you're just there. You're just there. You know, if they want to pray with you, they will. You know, you just, you know... It's a presence. Thing. Don't come selling something. Just yeah, exactly. Yeah. Fucking ego loves to sell shit, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Mine does. <laughs> what were you gonna say? You yeah, said, sorry, Steve. No, I, you didn't. I, it, it, for me, it's I've been in situations and like Arthur, like you said, to be there. Uh, I've been in situations where I have exposed a side of me that was a was a, a tender spot. It was a wound. It was a, it was a, a weakness, and just sharing, confiding. Hey, this is where I am every fucking morning. And my and a, and a guy looks and I'm talking with says what? There was a meet. I think we talked about that um, at that breakfast that we were doing with Mitchell. Um, I was judged because of my thoughts at the time, and I thought at okay, that breakfast. Yeah, I just told you I'd struggled a couple years ago. Just every morning, the decision, today I am faithful to my wife. Oh, gotcha. And a guy who I had known said, what? You what? And I quickly backtracked and tried to cover my ass so I didn't look like a complete moron more than I already had. But that's what I want to be able, and like I said, be that. Because I've been there. I mean, I've been hurt, I've been vulnerable, and I've been slapped on my wrists. And I want to be that guy that can go... Because I know there's guys... I look around in church and I know there's guys that are just fucking dying in there. And they're trying to make it. And I'm tired of them not having a, a place for that. And I, they've got to be there. I mean, they've got to be ready. Because you're not going to just pull somebody out and say, hey... That was a couple of years ago and I didn't know you that well then. But did you find... Did you find community in that pain, or did you find some kind of... I have found it since, okay. yeah. I've t I talked to a couple other buddies, that, a couple of my old Young Life kids, and they, he, one of them told me, he's a, he's a youth pastor at a big church on the East Coast, and he says, I do that, I struggle with that. And for me, that was a refreshing thing. I said, not that it okayed what I was struggling with, but that, hey, I'm not a freaking moron. No, yeah, man. exactly. The you power know? of me too. Yeah, That's yeah. another one, you know. That's what I want to be. I just want to be that. And, and this group um, is like therapy for me. You know, just being able to express feelings, express thoughts, express ideas. And mm -hmm. we're not all the same. Yeah. That at is all. one of those things, though, isn't it? I, I remember I was uh, several years ago vetted for um, a counseling group at the church we were going to. And... Uh, one of the quite it, it was a pretty intense vetting. I mean, like no nothing left unturned. Right. One of the Did questions. Start with a was it initials uh, M Marsville Church. <laughs> I will neither confirm nor deny <laughs> because of my ego right. and the shame I feel. No, but <laughs> yes, that too. But uh, but uh, uh, you know one of 
one of the questions in in the vetting with with regards to like sexual history, you know, because again, we got to talk about the sex thing, uh, was bestiality. And I look at the guys like, what? You know, and, and, and the if you were having sex with your pets or something, or if you you know liked looking at that kind of thing, oh, yeah, if you were porn, engaging right? in that. Yeah. And, and, and my, my response I was like, really? And he's like, hey, it's come up. So wow. now we just ask everybody, like, okay, wow. no, but but you know, you just you just never know, man. I don't know. You just never know. So, yeah. But I think it's not okay to do that. <laughs> I'm, I'm saying that if you struggle with that, I will try to be safe for you. But He's just okay. saying it's a very strong social taboo. <laughs> it's strongly discouraged. <laughs> but I will say there's uh, there shouldn't be shame in, in being a leader, Marcel, because I don't think I would have met you had you not been. Yeah. Or wait, the Derek was actually never mind because Derek was leading the community group. That's so why I should be shamed. But then you, <laughs> that's like maybe a little shame. No, you're like you're <laughs> just a little Derek guilty by association. Well, in, in all seriousness, I, I mean, in unpacking, <laughs> in unpacking, uh, Arthur and I were talking about this not that long ago. Or I was talking about it with, with your wife too. Is like, uh, is is owning, um, y- you know, your story, and yeah. and that's just part of you. That's just part of who you are. I mean, you. Might have been somewhere that you, oh gosh, what was I doing or thinking? But, but that's part of that growing up thing is is just owning uh, where you come from, and it's part of your story, and not seeing it all as bad. You know, there's there's good and bad, just like anything in life. It's it's just part of growing up. I mean, I could make jokes about it, or I could, uh, you know, be self-deprecating, but 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 you know that. Yeah, it's just part of owning your story. We, we all have done different things for different reasons, and yeah. we talked about that some last week too. It's like, um, you know, I mean, I, I used to be a, a fire-breathing Calvinist who had a lot of answers. I don't think I would have ever said all, and and now I, I don't identify with it at all. But yeah. I see how I got there. I see as a young man why I was attracted to it. I, yeah. I can I can kind of. <laughs> track the trajectory and what I hope that does is it gives me empathy not in a condescending way but in a if a young man is is in a reformed church and he's trying to raise his family it's like well yeah man life's hard you need some certitude you need some foundation some discipline yeah right (laughs) I I mean I some accountability or or, or some machismo theology I Again, I, I might not agree with it, but I, I can empathize with it. I mean, Why did it catch fire in Seattle, though? That's the interesting thing about the Mars Hill thing, looking back on it. As it's a countercultural. Yeah, maybe it's it is countercultural. We're, you know, we're really highly educated, yeah. and a lot of these kids that are coming out of college have no idea what they're going to do with their life. Yeah, and and just having somebody there to say, okay, you do this, 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 and this, yeah. and go with and Burv and has right. the Bible behind him, the right. vein, and here's vein a legacy, out of his neck. a legacy, legacy. Yeah. Oh yeah, words like legacy, which yeah. is honestly for a lot of people in that like better than the alternative. Yeah, like some you know they're probably going to encounter somebody somewhere who's going to do the same thing to them, and they're not always going to be, you know. Mars Hill wasn't squeaky clean, but it was a hell of a lot better than some of the other people selling shit out there. That's true. Well, there's still are selling shit out there today. And even yeah. when I was knee deep in it, I would have. You know, we talked about this all the time. I, I think that to what Derek's saying, it, it was so full of people that are just so horribly, horribly insecure. 
like in a painful way, in a, in a, what do I do? Or women, you know, how, how the fuck do I raise these kids and love my husband and clean my house? Or like, what if I want a job? We've talked about that some yeah, yeah. but but it's just tell me what to do, please. I, I have no clue. Tell me how to discipline my kids. Mm. Tell me how to love my husband. Oh, you wrote a book about sex? Great. <laughs> you know, there's yeah. a whole chapter. And even yeah. if a lot <laughs> of it doesn't work, at least it's a direction. Right. 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 At least you're doing something rather than just sitting and spinning your wheels. Yeah. Because you have no idea what to do. Tell me what kind of birth control it takes. What sexual positions are okay? (laughs) I'm not even joking, unfortunately. (laughs) You're right. right. It's not just Lars Hill folks that are seeking that. It's just everybody else. You want an answer. Yeah. Yeah. You want someone that knows better. A guru. You need the guy on the top of the mountain. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody's looking for. Man on the mountain. I was there too. I mean, what was it, two weeks ago? It's like, hey guys, I'm going through shit. Help. Tell me what to do. Tell me where to start. Well, there's something about gleaning from other people's experiences or or wisdom in in the context of relationship. Yeah. But it's not like a. Well, here's what you do, Chuck. <laughs> yeah. Or you're out. No, I think that's, that's the hard thing. Like, if you don't do these things, you're out. You're not listening to your spiritual authority. And the people will either... I mean, they shunned people at, at Mars Hill. It was. It got bad towards the end. That kind of shit was happening. So, no one's no shunning anybody. anybody. Yeah. Really? Now, I, I, know, I know people now after the fact because uh, my story is intersected with them right. after the fact. But. Well, I think... Got her Marcel because I wouldn't have met any of you guys without it. Yeah. Because it was Scott Mitchell that started that breakfast. That's where I met John and uh, Russ. And you met Arthur from me. Yeah. And I met Chuck yeah. from you. And yeah. now yeah. we're all here. Yeah. And yeah, we're all here. Yeah. So we're all back at being Calvinist. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So the spirit, the, the fruit of the spirit, that's that thing from that, that text that kind of keeps coming up in my head is as a car passes through the alley and Chuck takes a, a long uh, draw <laughs> off a cigar that looks this, like a baby's arm. <laughs> it's actually really hard to smoke. <laughs> it's a huge cigar, dude. Yeah, you gotta have some, some, you gotta have some lung right power for this thing. John's got the vape. I forgot what I was saying. It's like a novelty cigar. They used to be my gauge. Too. You guys are jealous. jealous. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know, but that yeah, that, that fruit of the spirit thing. So how did you, when you went to Bible college, was any of that kind of stuff unpacked, Arthur? Was it like heavily Which Presbyterian? Like the spirit versus the, what was the spirit there? Was that obedience or... Discipline, and you got the Holy Spirit, or you got the fruit of the Spirit because you like jumped through some fucking hoops. Or I don't, I don't, help me understand a little bit of your theological where you came from in that. Well, uh, I guess in the tradition that I grew up in, in that Bible college, um, the explanation was just that it was the indwelling power of the third person of the Godhead. Right. So, so like it had to be possessed. You know, so the way the way they the way they kind of dualistically looked at it is that you know you've got this uh, sinful drive because you're a fallen human with you know the the corruption of Adam in you, mm-hmm. and now that you ask Jesus into your heart, you've got this other force that wars with it. Right. 
Yeah, that's pretty standard Christian <laughs> fair, right? <laughs> so and how does that work for people? people? Yeah, and how does that work with for people long term? That's where we get into, you know, this getting out of dualistic thinking and more of a you know, more of a mindfulness, more of a existential even, using that word. Like it's hard to think about the fact that we're really not gonna know everything. That's one thing I do like about my church now. I, I love my church now. I think I said that a few episodes ago. I said, not that my church is the greatest. I think I threw that off the cuff. I do I do like the church that I'm going to because the pastor says things like, God is unknowable. I appreciate that. And Marzell didn't say shit like that. <laughs> Rick will stand up there and talk about, you know, the, the mystical idea that is God. We have this Bible, but it's not that we have, we're doing the right thing. I guess that's what I meant by that when I said that. You know, my church isn't the greatest. Uh, to say that was to say they don't think they have everything figured out. Or that we have the right way of doing Christianity. I started thinking that at Mars Hill. Like, we were doing things right. <laughs> you know? Like, this is how people should believe. You know? Yeah, we well, even did. did a series on that, didn't we? I, did. I never thought How Christians that. should I, think I about I did. something. Yeah, sadly, I, I did as well. That was That's an egoic thing, too. That dualistic thinking way of looking at doctrine. Is it, the ego attaches itself to that big time. I think I'd be loath even in uh, even in my past Christian life to kind of equate uh, the flesh in that verse to ego. Mm-hmm. Um, just in that, I think that I think that in that verse, the flesh is kind of also defined as this this sinful nature, and I don't think the ego is really that. I think the ego is. I guess my analogy would be the ego is like the prison system. It doesn't do a whole lot of people very much good. Right. But we just don't know what else to do with people. Yeah. So we put them there. Like, there's very little rehabilitation. There's very little reform. It doesn't even work real well as, as a deterrent to crime. Um, and I think that's what the ego is. I think it's a bad... I think it's a bad construct when you don't know how to be. So you create something to be, and it can work the way that the prism system works for society. Well, we don't know what else to do with the crap, so we're just going to lock them up and keep them out of the way. Yeah. But it doesn't really. Fix so it goes like to that anything. id, like the, Freud would talk about the id. It's, you're just so savage. That we have to put you in a fucking cage to keep you. Away but from I, I'm not people. saying that the, the, the ego is a cage. I'm just saying it's it's about as effective. It's just a poor solution to a problem you face as a person, which is you. Maybe it's the same kind of problem you're facing when you, you know, kind of give yourself over to a church paradigm like Marcel to be told what to do. It's like I just need an answer. I need a construct. Yeah. And and what happens is is when the way I see the ego is when you're young and you run into relationships and you run into to being hurt because you know you, you start off you don't know how to be anything else but you yeah and then you run into things where you get hurt so then you create this this ego to protect you and then it functions as you in society it's a construct of here's here's my mind created version of me that just works and when it doesn't work then I kind of change it to fit whatever I need it to in the life I've built for myself. Right. But kind of behind that is the real you. The one that you're not conscious of. And, and so it's, it's like an armor. Yeah. 
Hmm. Isn't that more of an archetype though than than the ego itself? Well, I get, you know, ego is one of those words that keeps getting thrown around all the time. Yeah. But from that article I was reading, Jung presented the idea of the the mask mm. as an archetype. Yeah, that yeah. Um, and that was that was his word for it is mask. Maybe right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was trying to remember that. Uh, yeah, and we're, but it's I don't even know if I can remember that either. Um, yeah, it's it would be that definition of ego where it's what society has evolved into you. Via abuse. <laughs> like, it's the, it's the personality that you present to society to avoid abuse as, as much as you can. I, I think the difference is, though, is that the ego, if you're not fully conscious of it, can largely exist unconsciously. Right. Yeah. Where, like, a mask is more kind of the purposeful portion of it. Right. That you're like, okay, I'm putting this on. The ego, you're, you're not even conscious of putting on. It's just... This is who I am and what yeah, I do. Yeah, I'm identifying with it because I'm too wounded underneath. So that's why I think, and I, I don't even know that's going on. Yeah, that's why I think sometimes the best thing for a person, and I've said this before, and it sounds a little horrible, but sometimes the best thing for a person to have is an addiction. Because you are face-to-face with something that you don't want to do, but you keep doing anyway, and that's that's a realization point, right? Like, that's a consciousness point. Like, oh, shit, why do I do that? Running up against your ego. Yeah, yeah. Where your behavior doesn't match who you define yourself as as a person. Yeah. Or your values. Yeah. Well, I think it's a, it's a vector for, for suffering. So going back to what, what John was talking about in, in quoting kind of Rohr's paradigm is that, that that real change that can occur in someone's life, the, the shedding of the ego occurs through great suffering or great love. And so an addiction can lead to great suffering yeah. in that you're, you're facing your own incapability to control yourself anymore. It's, it's costing you money. It's costing you relationships. Um, and, yeah. and, you know, and even your freedom in that you're, you're slave to it. Yeah, that's a realization. That's a, a starting point. A new identity is birthed out. Rock bottom. Which I don't really like that term because it could always get worse. You know? <laughs> so there are some people that I've met addicts that are waiting for rock bottom. Like, seriously? It's not a fucking bus, you know? Like, you can change now if you choose to... And it's not changing because I think that's another thing the ego tries to do. Well, I need to, you know, <clears throat> muscle through uh, a week and I'll not do this behavior or you know, for a week and then you do it and then you fall. Even doing that just amplifies shame and and there's all sorts of parts to that. But I think that the opposite of that is getting into that there's not two, there's not a good, bad, right, wrong, I finished my goal, I hit my goal, you know, there's there's a third component and that is love, right? That is something that was that is stirred in a, a group of people that are honest. Maybe. What say me? <clears throat> There's a hamster on the wheel over there. I can see it. It's scary uh, when you come to that realization that your ego's been leading the way and that you're not really yourself around people and you're hiding or you're putting up the front and you're one-upping guys or whatever it is. You're, you know, you'd said about wearing your heart on your sleeve. And I recently started doing that. I was always protecting myself. Um, there's reason for me it was just shame. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I noticed that when I realized that I was doing that, I changed because I, a, I wanted to, and it just it wasn't working for me. And just things started to click, and I noticed that, well, yeah, okay, I'm sharing bits and pieces of my life, and I'm not being ridiculed for it. You know, I'm not outcasted. I mean, all these things that... The way I look at my ego is was telling me that if I share any of this stuff, then you know, you're no one's gonna be friends with you, and you're just gonna be made fun of. Um, but I think it's just scary for, at least for me, yeah. to realize that okay, I'm not who I should be, I'm not who I am, I'm being somebody else. We resort back to elementary school so easily, you know, yeah. The, the, yeah. The playground that I'll be made fun of. Yeah. And that's also something I've heard, and maybe I'll throw this out there, but that's something I've heard about the wound that you and I share. Every every single person that I've talked to that has that wound has shared that. Mm-hmm. I can't be me. If I'm me, there's something in me telling me that I'll be ridiculed, I'll be shit on, I'll be rejected. I won't I won't have value if I really share that little kid part of me. That vulnerable part, mm-hmm. and uh, I don't know if you guys experienced that because I mean that's a it's a sexual abuse thing. Yeah. It's something that happens. Classic sexual abuse does that. Yeah, it it creates a a strange. The mask analogy is a good one. Um, but what about you guys? Have you you guys who have not had that wound? Have you experienced something similar? I, would, I mean, most of my childhood was like that. Um, I was very slow to pick up social cues and social paradigms. And John says I'm a very pragmatic person. I was a very pragmatic kid. <laughs> so I just did what felt good, what was comfortable, what came naturally. And I was really awkward. Uh, and it, And the kids around me came down really hard on me for a really long time because it took me a very long time to figure out that that's why they were doing it. That they were just being mean. Um, but, you know, and they weren't just being mean, but right, I think they were doing it to, you know, to also knock me, you know, say, hey, this is not what you're supposed to do. But nobody ever came out and just told me this is what you're supposed to do. Yeah. Um, so I definitely can relate to that feeling. Uh, and eventually I just learned through being beat over the head over and over and over and over again, oh, it's not okay to be vulnerable like that. Mm-hmm. And, and I got to look at what other people are doing and just do that because then people will stop hurting me, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then, and then I became, and then I joined the other side. And I think that's really common for the people that come, like when you expose yourself to someone and they come down really hard on you, yeah. I think it's often because they're also super sensitive people mm-hmm. and yeah. they got really crushed at one point. And so in a sick way, they're, they're trying to help. Yeah. They're like, okay, let's fucking nip that in the bud. I'm going to hit you so damn hard right now that you're going to get it, yeah. and you won't ever do that again. Like the military. Right. And, it, and unfortunately, it works. Right. right? Yeah, it does. That, that somebody comes and just broadsides you and gives you everything that they fucking got. Yeah. Uh, and, oh, okay. And, and uh, yeah, and it, and it destroys your desire to be in that vulnerable position. Um you think a lot of us as guys, I mean, I'm, I'm there. I mean, I, I grew up in that, picked on, I was skinny, I wore black plastic frame glasses and had curly hair in the 70s. 
or the pretty 60s. cool right I struggled with that idea that I'm not liked if people really knew me that and it's 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 honestly been the last five years that I've been able to come out of that uh, say I, I, Arthur put it so well you know I ran out of fucks <laughs> so but that is true and I, I wonder if we don't if 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 that's the mask that we wear, and the ego is trying to protect us, because you know if you're a piece of shit in your mind, and if everybody knows me, then they're going to know I'm a piece of shit. So I'm going to be somebody I'm not. Mm. And me, my defenses was anger. Uh, I would very volatile, uh, and it wasn't for the saint, my wife, who stayed with me. Um, I had holes in walls and doors and everything else. Growing, you know, when we first married, because I'd get frustrated because that. Little side of me would start to peek out, and I slam that sucker back down into the hole. And I wonder if that's not—you know—a lot of us, a lot of guys aren't start, don't struggle with that. Do you know what was making you so angry? Shame, but no specific event. Just a shame of being me. Like just a vague sense yeah, of just yeah. I don't like. I'm not comfortable in my. Yeah, house. like you weren't right. conscious of right that, <clears throat> and it was a trigger. Yeah, constantly. To, yeah, yeah, I get that. I was like that as well. That's right. If I feel slighted, I mean, I, back in the day, if road rage had escalated to where it is today, I'd be dead. <laughs> no. You know, I'd get shot. Then I used to get flipped off and chased and threatened, but it would just go away. But now, I mean, you get shot some of the crap I did back earlier. I heard a social scientist say, not, not that long ago, a year or two ago, that if, if you want to look at any room of adults and... and, and but basically, like, we're all just walking around, but internally we're all six years old. Exactly, yeah. emotionally. Yeah, so, like, you can look at any room of adults and, and just see six-year-old kids. Yeah. And I have a, you know, I have a five-year-old and a seven-year-old, and I, it, it's funny, like, I kind of do that exercise sometimes. Like, I just walk in a room full of adults, like, oh, there's the class clown, there's the prima donna, <laughs> you yeah. know, there's the, the, uh, the girly girl. I don't know. Like, as adults, I think we take on certain roles, too, but we all yeah. interact like... Like we're six, and that helps sometimes. <coughs> I mean, even like I don't know, like Donald Trump was a baby before, like or something, you know, just like, just a, like the most egotistical sort of uh, character or, or person that's out there. It's like the, you know they had to learn to walk and be potty trained and yeah. But emotionally, they're still. I heard a, a gal say that a lot. <coughs> she was like a hundred pounds soaking wet. This woman, and she would go into these like really gritty volunteer-based 12-step programs in like the inner city. She'd be in the basement of some church and there's, you know, heroin addicts and crackheads and stuff and she's leading these groups. And somebody asked her if she was scared. Like, aren't you scared? Like, these people could hurt you. And she said, no, not at all. Because when I sit down in that group, all I see is a bunch of five and six-year-olds. Yeah. This around me, like there's the pouty one, and you know, it just she just tries to get, and and it, there's another thing she touched on too, was she mentioned having to almost like uncloak their ego to get to that kid, you know, like taking their jacket off and hanging it over there because they're they're having you know, as much as we love to say that in recovery groups, people still are, you know, I've got my shell or my mask. And a good a good group leader, a good therapist is really good at getting to that kid and asking that kid questions. That's why they say, you know, that's the 
the cliche thing. How do you feel about that? Well, there's a lot to people asking that question. That goes down below all of our figuring shit out and all our thoughts and all our ego trying to control the situation. How do you feel about that? Like, oh, yeah, how do I feel about that? It's a big question. Steve and I have talked about <clears throat> kids. And um, one thing that I'm glad you continue to share this with me um, in raising my kids, I also have a five and almost, or seven and almost five-year-old. Um, it's just to continually tell them that I love them, God loves them, and no matter what they do, the love's never going to change. And I, I was the, I picked on everybody. Um, after I was abused, it was just, well, if I make fun of you, then you're not going to know that I'm crushed. I wasn't trying to help you. I was just putting you down so that you knew that I was better and wasn't hurting myself. And my goal is to at least get some of that knowledge to my children. Mm. And I can see it in my oldest already where he's he's probably going to be the bully. Oh, he's bigger than everybody else in his class and he just, it's in his nature and it's just, no, no, just stop being that way and it's that's what I want to do is just you know shake them be like stop it um, which is explain to them that you know it's you're loved and you need to love these people for who they are too right yeah. the unfortunate truth on a lot of that stuff is sometimes the safest place to be is the aggressor yeah mm-hmm. oh yeah oh, absolutely so I mean that's where you know I, there was a thing in in uh, martial arts that I learned when I was a kid it was the hit him back first mentality yeah like if someone you know someone's about to hit you you hit them first mm-hmm. but that was definitely the way it worked emotionally you know is you, you can tell that person's about to come at you and you just unload at them before they can open their mouth yeah and just beat them down on the ground and establish your dominance and then you don't have to worry about it anymore. to go ahead and handle bullies it really right. is Bullies. Yeah. Wasn't that some membership uh, stuff for more <laughs> <laughs> No, that was in the leadership training. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, a lot of therapy today revolves around going back and addressing wounds at the time that they occurred. Yeah. And, and that's because I, I do think that there's an element to to our growth where where when I was hearing your story Derek all I could think is yeah that's a significant portion of when Derek's ego formed a new identity yeah mm. and going back and then and then watching the the damage that that does to yourself over the course of your life as you're growing up with that element you know how many uh, you know how many kids did you hurt coming out of that how many friendships didn't happen because you know you were that way um and then and then we get stuck from those traumas whether whether it's whether it's emotional whether it's sexual whether it's physical like at the moment of acute abuse part of us shuts down and stays there (laughs) and doesn't grow up and that's kind of the reality uh psychologically and emotionally to the idea that yeah everybody's walking around six year olds well yeah a lot of us are because that was the age we got hurt in some way yeah. or it was seven or right. it was eight or whatever you know? mom and dad got divorced or I was bullied or I was abused or yeah and, yeah and part of your part of your growing up gets stunted 
Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And that's why, you know, EMDR and people do that. There's all sorts of different therapies now to, to go back to that place. Not that you have to relive it, but that you, those emotions are triggered because we're triggered. It, it brings back, us back to that place. And then it's walking through that, you know. Uh, well, I was looking up this, this article about Sesame Street. You guys reminded me of Sesame Street. So Sesame Street started uh, doing some things in social psychology and started teaching. Like if you go to YouTube and you put in Sesame Street and empathy, um, there's some really good videos on, on just the Sesame Street characters teaching kids how to be nice to one another. Be nice to yeah. Oscar. Not, yeah, <laughs> not be the bully. <laughs> like I know, I know Elmo seems kind of like a pussy, but or you need to be nice to Elmo. Bad. <laughs> yeah, Oscar smells bad. You <laughs> need to love him. Oh shit! <laughs> or Bert and Ernie, or uh, you know, roommates. If I was on Sesame Street, my fucking Elmo would be getting bullied, right? He wouldn't be the star. In real life, that kid would be. I don't know, but I thought that was interesting too. But empathy is the opposite of that that ego trying to, you know, be the man, right? I'm the man. I'm the man. You know, let's get guys together or women together. Even the opposite of that dick measuring kind of thing <laughs> is empathy, isn't it? Like, help me understand you. Uh, yeah, I see it like. This is tracking my story in this conversation, remembering childhood. Is my grandfather was was an auto mechanic and very mechanically inclined, and he was a, a junior college instructor for auto mechanics and had his own shop. And my father was very athletic, and I was just kind of an awkward, artistic kid. You know, I was just so sensitive. And as I became a teenager, I definitely had like a, a macho side, but it would manifest itself in kind of the music I liked or the film I liked or the art I liked and I would lift weights and stuff I would never call myself an athlete but my father died when I was pretty young I was only 12 and I don't really think he knew how to relate to me or to pursue me well because you know he wants to throw the ball around with me and I'm like yeah that's not really that interesting or, or fun and um anyway so I might have told this story before but like I had the benefit of being a kid in the early 90s where it was sort of cool to be the weird artsy guitar playing punk rock kid because you know like the music scene in Seattle and everything I was never like a big Kurt Cobain fan at all but I always credit Kurt Cobain for at least my high school existence being kind of cool because all of a sudden you know the pretty girls wanted to go out with a dude like me or maybe a generation's past they they didn't yeah, you wanted the football player. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and that whole like jock thing, cheerleader thing in the early 90s just wasn't a thing. It was yeah. like, oh, I kind of like the weird skater guy or the guitar playing guy. It's pretty awesome. Worked well for me. But but where that would manifest itself in adulthood is, oh, I'm, I'm not handy. I'm not athletic. So I am relational and I, I am creative. But, but it's sort of where it can breed like an inferiority complex is... You know, I mean, even now, like, I mean, I could call Russ on a given Saturday or Sunday and he's, you know, oh, I just replaced the alternator in my car. I had to take out the transmission to do it and it only took an hour. And, like, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I got to pay someone $600 if I want that. Or Arthur will build a deck in a weekend or Derek will 
build a rain garden. And I'm like, uh, yeah, uh, let me call the guy to come over and do that for me because I don't know. Um, so where it is now is is my youngest son is very naturally athletic and I'm just not. So I, I bought him a football and I said, hey, I never learned how to throw one of these. You want to learn together? Yeah. And that's like an exercise in humility. Like, you know, yeah. tell my seven-year-old son, like, hey, let's learn together because, you know, I don't know really how to put a spiral on one of these, but you're interested in it. And yeah, let's, let's do it together. And hopefully cultivating some vulnerability with, with him it's not easy for me or, or natural for me because I, you know, prefer to check out and, and it's, it's just, it's just work for someone like me to pursue kids. Cause I'm just not really in, naturally inclined that right. way. Some guys are, I kind of envy that like the guys that get down on all fours and, you know, play and uh, that, that just hasn't typically been, been me just naturally. So mm-hmm. it takes some work to, to do that. But anyway, I'm trying. It wasn't <laughs> me either with two girls, but now I'm at the point where I'm trying to make up for that. <clears throat> I'm constantly, constantly <clears throat> telling my kids how proud I am of them. That's cool. I never remember my dad telling me he was proud of me. No. Never. I mean, and I don't, I mean, that's just the way my dad was. And I about my dad never heard it from his dad. It's that generation. My dad was born in 1927. But that's what I am today is I, I just tell them continually how proud I am of them, how much I love them, that there's nothing they could ever do to disappoint me. Mm-hmm. Uh, because those are things, again, and my, and my weaknesses and my wounds that I missed. Instead of saying, you were this, um, you make me feel so proud to be your dad. And that's what I tell my kids. Mm-hmm. And that just, I got a little emotional just hearing that story about you with your son. Yeah. That is awesome um, that you're willing to do that. My dad was the artsy guy. And the, yeah. the actions speak louder than any of the words, yeah. too. Yeah. I heard, I'm proud of you all the time growing up, um, from both my parents. But the minute I wasn't playing football, they didn't talk to me. Mm-hmm. I decided, <clears throat> when I first went to college, I was recruited to play football. And I got there and realized that this is a career oh. choice. You know, this isn't fun anymore. <laughs> this is work. And it's like, fuck that. You know, I don't want to do this. And so I quit. I, you know, and I went to the coach and I explained to him where it was. And he says, well, well, give me another two days or whatever it was. And Okay. And two days later, it's like, no, I'm done. This is, this is crazy. You guys are up, dressed, eat, and on the field by the time the sun comes up. And you're there until the sun goes down. No. Yeah. I did this in high school because, well, it helped me for wrestling. And this isn't wrestling. <clears throat> So I called my mom. I was like, hey, I'm done playing football. It, school hadn't started yet, so I wasn't allowed to be there. Can you come pick me up? Well, I'm kind of busy. Uh, it's 45 minutes from the house. Come and get me. Well, you'll have to wait till your father gets home from work. Okay. So I called, waited. Dad gets home, called him up. Well, I'm really busy. I got, I'm really tired from work. and I had to call my grandfather to come get me. I was home for a week and a half. My parents never talked to me. No. It's like, wait a second. I thought you guys were proud of everything I did. You know, so it's your actions is just throwing the football. Even though you don't want to do it, your sons are going to see that. I hope so. And oh, you will. No, they will. Yeah. That's cool. He'll remember Thanks, that. Thanks. Yeah. yeah. I, seriously, just thinking about it, 
Well, and in, 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 in kind of <laughs> shedding any sort of, you know, because on some level, we're talking about ego. There's always men having inferiority complexes with, with, with on something, some level. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just being able to ask friends for help, too, you know, when you need it. And that's that's part of it. Yeah. That's not easy either. Oh. <laughs> no. But. No. We're all in this together. <laughs> I'm gonna go home and tell my son I'm proud of him. Yeah, and he's having a tough time. He's been yeah. a tough time. But yeah, man, that's good. <laughs> Don't worry, it'll be short lived. I lasted four months when I moved back in with my parents. Yeah. They drove me crazy. <laughs> oh, I know we were <laughs> absolutely bananas. Yeah, that, that <clears throat> happens. Well, I think we wrap this thing up, right? Sounds yeah. good. Man. Episode yeah. seven in the bag. Thanks for listening. Uh, punktheology.com hey leave a review of this podcast if uh, if you like it review this one not last week's but this like one. us on yeah. Facebook like us on <laughs> share. Facebook share That's tell right. your friends social media don't tell your friends Patreon <laughs> don't 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 don't, give tell us, your don't give us money <laughs> well, my, young, my oldest daughter loves this Stephanie Kudos to your girlfriend. Become a patron, Stephanie. Become a patron. <laughs> <laughs> we need money. Rent's going to go on. Yeah, we need microphones. And, uh, all right. We're out. Hey, thanks again for listening to Punk Theology. Check out our Facebook page, man. We worked kind of hard on it. <laughs> sort of we all got together and it's becoming more of a uh, group thing than just my thing uh, I did launch it but now we have uh, six mediators all the guys that are in the group there so punktheology.com is the best way to find it and you scroll down to the bottom you click on the link to the punk theology pub page or open your Facebook app search for punk theology pub and like that page. It's uh, it's a way to get connected with the show. You can ask questions there and links and stories and things we may be talking about in the future. So, again, putting a plug out for the Punk Theology Pub page on Facebook. Till next time, bye. Bye.